Okay. Um, look, it's really good to be able to uh, share with you and connect with you today as we continue our series on demonstrating com uh, compassion. And it's one of our values as Northern community. And so far we've explored a whole range of different values um, and uh, different aspects of what it means to demonstrate compassion. Uh, and that compassion starts with us drawing from the well of what God has done for us. And that there's a beautiful point at which compassion and spirituality meet as it is expressed in the restoration of uh, shalom, peace. That we need to have a change of perspective when it comes to demonstrating compassion as we are reminded of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Compassion is also to be extended to the world in which we steward and that we also need to extend compassion to those hidden in plain sight as the Good Samaritan reminds us of our prejudices. And we've seen that played out on the world stage over the recent week. And while attending of a rally or signing a petition can and is important, if it does not shift and transform daily behaviour, then it becomes hollow rhetoric that fades like yesterday's placard. If you've missed any of the messages that we've had so far, then you can listen to them on podcast or you can also catch up with them on YouTube as well. Jesus calls us to demonstrate a compassion of kingdom values and of kingdom power. The miracle of compassion points to the beneficiary of compassion, um, recognising that their awareness of their creator God grows and they build awareness of the God of compassion as an all-powerful and all-knowing God. Yet there are times when the miracle of modern medicine can cause us to forget the miracle of a compassionate God. One of the signs or markers of authenticating the legitimacy of Jesus' claims to be the Messiah, God sent one, is found in the miracles experienced by others. For those tracking with us through this series, you'll recall that Sam talked about John the Baptizer's query if Jesus was the Messiah, God's Saviour, to which he responded in Luke chapter 7 verses 21 to 23, and once again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illnesses. He cast out evil spirits and restored the sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. The miracle of compassion authenticated the ministry of Jesus. A few moments ago, we had Anna read from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6 where Jesus gives uh, power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases to his followers. And we are reminded through that reading that uh, the first followers of Jesus began their circuit of the villages 
preaching the good news and healing of the sick. If you have your Bibles near you, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 3. If you go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And in Acts chapter 3, we, we get to discover more about the outworking of this in people's lives. Last Sunday, it was Pentecost, and Noah reminded us in prayer of the coming of the Holy Spirit in power and uh, on the followers of Jesus. And over the weeks that followed that Pentecost, the letter of Acts speaks of the transformational um, impact on lives. And in chapter 2, verse 43, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Well, let's take a look, a close look at one at such occasion of a miraculous demonstration of compassion. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 16, we read this. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at, at, intently at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realised that he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly. To Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus who handed over and rejected people. Uh, and re Sorry, this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. 
Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. So let me give you a little bit more of the, the setting um, about what was happening here. Now, we can't be too sure which of the gates um, Luke is referring to here, but it could have well been the majestic Nicanor Gate, donated by the Alexandrian Jew Nicanor. After all, it was named after him. You see, this gate would mark the boundary and be as far as the crippled man could go um, to this gate uh, and because of his de uh, birth deformity. He would not be allowed to go through the gate with the other men, but would have to stay outside the court of the Israelites, only going as far as the court of women. For over 40 years, his legs his leg muscles atrophied as they withered from lack of use. From birth and for the last 40 years, he had to rely on others to um, clean him, to dress him, to carry him to the temple where he would call out for welfare from those on their way to worship God. In a religious system and a culture that routinely judged sickness, disease, and disability with sin. For 40 years, this man was likely to have carried the stigma of uh, this. Did this man or his parents sin that he was born this way? His stature was dwarfed by those who would pass by and toss him a few coins on the way to worship. But far more than that, for the last 40 years, this man's stature was further dwarfed by the towering size of the Nicanor Gates. Josephus, the, uh, the historian, the Jewish historian, gives an account that the bronze doors stood some five stories high, 22 metres tall and 18 metres wide. And it apparently took about 20 men to open and close them each day. If this man didn't feel small enough before the able-bodied people, then he must have felt insignificant to Yahweh God, who was represented beyond those gates, a speck against the spectacular. We don't know how many passers by um, went by uh, past him every day, giving alms aid to help him survive. We don't know how many times he was passed by. Perhaps he was there when Jesus cleansed the temple and taught. We don't know that, uh, whether this man um, in his 40s was a regular at the gate. Uh, what we do know, sorry, is that this man was a regular at the gate and that this day started like most ordinary days. Yet on this day, Peter and John are captured by his predicament. They are confronted by their limits of compassion in a material sense. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are prompted to show miraculous compassion. We read about this in verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. 
in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. In an instant, muscles, tendons and bone density were restored. In what would normally take a baby 12 months to transition in confidence and composition, from crawling to running, this man experienced in an instant. His brain was wired with nerve impulses that were sent like lightning through dormant wiring to hips, legs and toes, and up he arose. The miracle of compassion transformed a beggar sitting in the dust, dusty pavement in the shadow of the beautiful gate into an able-bodied man who could not only walk but also leap and praise Almighty God. <laughs> and on that day, for the first time, he could go where he was previously forbidden to go. On that day, he discovered that Yahweh God did not see him as an insignificant speck in the shadow of the spectacular. After the 3 p.m. prayers were completed, a crowd of people began to discover more of this miracle of compassion in verse 16 as Peter sets the record straight. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. The miracle of compassion transformed a man's life, correcting the crippled body, but also the crippled spirit. But the miracle of compassion also gave an opportunity to praise God and to bear witness to God's compassion. First, once the crippled man declared praise to God, thanking his creator for transforming his life, his body, and his understanding of who God is. But Peter and John also had the opportunity to praise God by testifying to the growing crowd as to how this came about. Peter and John were not medics with some medical cure. Medical re rehabilitation, if it was at all possible, would have taken years to complete. Nor was it some um, special chant or magic words that brought, broke through years of stagnation. It was not the size of faith that brought about the miracle. After all, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. Size of faith does not matter for a miracle of compassion to become a reality. But faith in Jesus does matter. The same Jesus that commissioned the disciples to demonstrate compassion to the sick and those held in spiritual bondage. Yet for me, and perhaps for you, there are questions that remain unanswered. Why then? and not one of the many other days that the crippled man sat there. Why him, and not the many others that remained unhealed by the disciples or even by Jesus? Is this man more deserving than another? The wise can easily overwhelm us and have us lose our focus. We can actually continue to carry such questions at the same time as we carry the truth of this man's miraculous healing, which ought to have us also recognise the undeniable goodness 
of God in this person's life. But for some, miracles of compassion are just a thing of the past. I've even heard pastors declare that the days of miracles are by and large no more. Yet when I read James 5, 13 to 18, I don't believe that this is any less a message for us today than anything else that James writes. In James 5, 13 to 18, once again reading from the New Living Translation, we have these words. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. While we should be cautious about using this as a formula that both guarantees healing, and if it doesn't, then we beat up either the person praying or the one being prayed for, blaming them for their lack of faith. Many lives have been caused great pain with such a barbaric approach. Yet there are still several truths that we can draw from this passage. The legitimacy of the miraculous is still true for us today. I believe James's encouragement here is just as much for us uh, today as it was when James wrote it. We also draw from James that there is at times a link between sick, sickness and sin. It's wrong to automatically assume the link. But in humility, there is appropriateness of asking the question. As much as we should ask the question of environmental causes or diet or any other thing. The problem in Jesus' day is that people usually assumed that sickness was because of sin. In contrast today, the problem is that we usually assume that it's not. Both extremes are inconsistent with the New Testament teaching. We also see in James 5 that being in a right relationship with God empowers prayer. Being in a close relationship with God increases discernment, understanding and sensitivity to the work of the Holy Spirit in a given situation. Inviting elders, not necessarily just uh, someone who is older, but faithful leaders in the church to pray for you is a good thing to do. This can often involve anointing with oil. Mary and I have seen God do amazing things in people's lives, from praying through uh, a person's home where there were manifestations of evil that had previously occurred, and anointing people with oil. On one occasion, Mary and another church leader anointed someone 
with stage three bowel cancer and a terminal history of that in her family. They prayed for her and she was healed. The key that James draws us back to in the miracle of compassion is prayer. Whether it is prayer of a person's heart, as in, inside a person's heart as Peter and John step up and step out in faith to see a person's life transformed, or dealing with issues, challenges and concerns today. The suffering of hardship is all-encompassing. And prayer in and through these difficulties will bring about miracles in people's lives so that they can testify to God's faithfulness for them. Will everyone be healed? No. Should that stop us from praying and trusting God in faith? Absolutely not. I firmly believe that God does and continues to call us as a church family to a ministry of seeing lives transformed through the miracle of compassion with faithful prayer in Jesus' name is key. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you. We can come to you not because of our achievements, but because of your achievements on the cross that we were remembered today. We thank you that we can come in prayer as Lynn has led us in prayer today, praying for those in our church family, those in our community, those around the world as we seek to see you at work in people's lives. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have held back and, and not been prepared to, to step out in faith and pray in your name for the miracle of compassion to be outworked in people's lives. Help us to increase in our relationship with you, our connection with you through the indwelling of your spirit in our life, that we might be able to discern what it is that you are saying to us at any given time. Lord, help us to be able to minister your grace, your peace, Help us to be able to minister your compassion, whether it be through sharing a tear at a time of bereavement, whether it be celebrating joy of a life well lived, whether it be seeing you transform someone's life through a miracle in their world. Lord, we ask that you would continue to outwork miracles of, of compassion in and through Northern not for our namesake, but for your glory and for our ability to praise you. Amen. Mm. So how might we respond in uh, today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I've posed for you. There might be others that you have as well. But what questions does this raise for you as we think about these stories, as we think about these accounts, in the life of Jesus and the early church. What questions does this raise for you? What might the Holy Spirit be saying to you as you sit with those questions? How might these Bible verses affect your compassion for others? And is there an area in your life where you have suffered hardship and would like prayer? Mm. 